Hey, Chris. Can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> I don't know what happened before. Let me try this out real quick. Can you hear me? I can, yes. Okay, all right. I have no idea what was causing that. How is oh, that? Oh, wow. It's, it, it's loud and clear. It's really good. Yeah, I know. I'm doing it off my phone and I'm doing it off of a headset mic from, you know, essentially Xbox. Ah, okay. Well, um, whatever you're doing, it's working. All right. I'll, we'll use this right now as a, as a backup in case other stuff doesn't work. All right. Let's, uh, I'll introduce us in at uh, the one minute mark. Okay. What are we doing? Are we talking all over again about all everything? Over again. All Holy over again. shit. <laughs> all right. Five. All right. Uh, I'll count us down. One minute. Remember. Hey guys, welcome back to the IkeCast. This is Chris, and I'm with my co-host Ike. Say hey hi. everyone, thank you for joining us. Yeah, and uh, this time we're talking about, well, like usual, uh, politics, specifically uh, the the these new stuff that popped up with Bob Woodward and 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 Trump and these. Oh my God, it 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 just gets kind of crazy. <laughs> Um, and then I, I'm laughing about it, but I'm not laughing about it because it's like. And then we're gonna pivot. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna pivot to something a little bit better. Uh, yep, we call this the yeah. We call you know the first ten minutes of our <laughs> of our discussion our you know um, realities that we're living in, and then we go to our happy place, which is our entertainment. <laughs> And um, our happy place this week is going to be Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but before we can get into the happy place, we're gonna we're gonna talk about reality or our reality that we're all living in, which is um, you know the the current uh, COVID nineteen and the election that's coming up. So, like like Chris said, you know, another week goes by, and are we surprised that there's uh, you know things that we learned that we didn't know, but we're not necessarily surprised about. And, and as Chris rightly pointed out, Bob Woodward, investigative journalist yeah. who with Carl Bernstein had broke the Watergate story and the Watergate scandal has come up with a new book. Oh yeah. Another one inside of his, I, I hope he does one more, his Trump trilogy, right? <laughs> sort of like the beginning. It seems like middle. it's happening, right? Yeah, and then I hope, like, if if Trump uh, doesn't get reelected, I hope he does another set of interviews with him. Um, you know, just sort of like the the post presidency sort of thing, so we get all angles of Trump in this in right. this in this sort of trilogy of Bob Bob Woodward getting Trump to hang himself with with his own shoestrings. <laughs> right. Well, right. So um, last year, Bob Woodward had come up with a book. Come up with a book called Fear. And in that book, he used a lot of sources. There were anonymous sources, right? But there were third-party sources. And um, I think the story goes that um, President Trump was fuming. Uh, obviously, the this the spin doctors, um, you know, said that it was all fake news. Um, you know, and one of the biggest criticisms. Or Trump was saying it was fake news, was because he was he wasn't interviewed for it, so it wasn't coming out of the horse's mouth, so to speak, and um, and that was because it, and that was I think really strategic about his gatekeepers that didn't want 
you know, an investigative journalist like Bob Woodward to have access, right? Because they can't control um, the the narrative uh, when Trump sits down with one of these types of um, interviews. And this time around, apparently there was no gatekeepers. And so Mr. Woodward was able to get 18 on-the-record interviews. And yeah, are we surprised... So one of the things that came out of the, the the tapes that were released, so Bob Woodward, not only did a book come out, but he released tapes. And you can tell it's the president that's talking. And in it, he's admitting that COVID-19 is very dangerous, very deadly, more so than the flu, and that it's airborne, air transmission. At the time, he was telling the public, the American citizens, nothing to fear. It was all going to go away. And... That's to me grossly negligent, and it, you know clearly shows depraved indifference. Oh, entirely. Um, I mean, I think that even matches further when we consider Kushner's, uh, Jerry Kushner's earlier ta- talks on you know PPE and and uh, aid to the states, and him going like, "Well, this is really only like a democratic state problem, so why should we help them?" Right? It's and then it, it explodes further, but it, it's that sort of like just negligence and straight up recklessness, right? Right. That- so, yeah. So here, here's the thing. We don't want to spend too much time on this, Chris, because we do want to go to our happy place. Uh, but, you know, let's talk about the federal government a little bit. You know, so federal government has certain powers that are vested in them, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and constitutionally, you know, the way constitution is written, what isn't clearly defined falls to the states. Right. Here's the thing is when you're dealing with a pandemic, you need federal oversight to coordinate. Zones. Oh, very okay. much so. It's this and is- coordinate the supply chain. And what happened was there was a free for all. So, yeah, you had a lot of money that got wasted by, you know, the states. And here's the thing is, you know, I I think Governor Cuomo was spot on when he said, look, help us now. And when it's your turn, we will help you because, you know, that's going to happen. Right. And we're seeing that. So. The Northeast is has stabilized but you're seeing you know it went to the south now it's in the midwest i mean you're going to see rising cases and this is going to be a you know it's going to be ebbing and rising ebbing and rising and that's just not what happened and that's extremely negligent to come out and say hey everything's going to be fine we'll we'll have it there's nothing going on that's resulting in people saying you know what i don't need to wear a mask and those people are, you know, they don't care. They're very self-centered and they don't believe in anybody else except for themselves. And I think that's that's a horrible person. Uh, not, uh, uh, they also believe in God, Emperor Trump. Let's be very real here. Um, but what can I say? <clears throat> I just want to throw it out to you. Mm-hmm. 190 people are dead now. 190,000. 190, 190,000, almost 200. Yeah. Yeah, almost 200,000 people. 
Has... That's the fucking deaths of the Union side in the Civil War. Yeah. Can we just consider that? That the Union side in the Civil War, the total deaths, that's what it was. Yeah. <clears throat> this is this is what we this is the this is what the new normal is. Two hundred thousand deaths. Ah, that's whatever, right? That's that's acceptable business for the lies, the deceit, the failure to do, you know, to act, you know, the abdication of duty. I'm I'm flabbergasted yeah, that yeah. this that this that this would have allo- been allowed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Chris, I want to um, I want to give everybody the definition of depraved indifference. I, I've, I you know, I threw that term out there, but I I want to you know I want to give what the definition of depraved indifference is. Uh, you know, a person that has depraved indifference to human life when that person has an utter disregard for the value of human life, a willingness to act not because he is or she means to cause and grievous harm, right? But because of their unwillingness to do what is better, it's resulted in, um, in you know, serious bodily harm uh, and even death. And you know what? If this doesn't, if this doesn't become, isn't an example of dep- depraved indifference, I just don't know. It right? is, and and it's it's beyond doubt. But what can I say? I mean, all this has done to show me that Trump is perfectly willing to admit on tape, you know, a whole bunch of stuff because I don't think he thinks he, anything can happen to him. He survived what, you know, he survived an impeachment, right? Sure. No one has ever been impeached in history, yeah, but yeah. it felt like of all the people, he was going to be the one. Right, and I'm right. sure even for a moment he th- like he was railing against it, like you like he thought it was going to happen, and then yeah. it was all over and done with, and there was you know n- the needle didn't move, and after right. it's all over and done with, now you have people going like, hey, guess what? We get to do what we want. We get to <clears throat> how? What's the best way can I I can put this? He, he there's there's no checks on him. There's no balances. No. Yeah, you know, there's no way. It's unfettered. To, yeah. It's, it's yeah it's a completely and here's the worst part is the gop has changed yeah right it's it's trump's party now right yeah fucking four years ago trump was being laughed at trump was being derided by everyone on that stage and he then he wins the nomination then he wins the presidency but and now the party's changed the rnc from four years ago to now is completely fucking different. It's yeah. it was batshit. We talked about it last time. It was straight yeah. up batshit. Yeah. And now, yeah. it's gone. Uh, what can I say? And uh, it. Yeah. Okay. On, and on top of this. Okay. Correct. On top Chris, of. <laughs> Go on. On top of all you. of the 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 bullshit involving you know Woodward and the and these interviews and and Trump just straight up you know playing down and lying to the American people about all of this. His press secretary comes out. And says, "No, nah, no, nah, he hasn't lied to you." And then on top of that, uh, w- what was the thing that the press secretary said about the election? Uh, yeah, she said that we should have no, uh, we should, ha- we should on election night know who's won. We should have a declared winner because that's what is required. And bullshit. 
that's not what's required because we live in a 24-7 news cycle. That is what we have expected. And you know what? The environment just doesn't uh, permit it. It just doesn't allow for it. Chris, before we jump into um, election night uh, and what they're talking about, because I do want to talk about the election and and the vote, is the second definition I wanted to give to everybody. (laughs) I'm sorry I'm going really, you know, uh, formal here. Second definition I wanted to give to everybody was the other term that I used, which is gross negligence. Gross negligence (laughs) is an extreme indifference to a reckless disregard for safety of others. And again, uh, it's, you know, gross negligence just isn't a simple act of carelessness or failure to act. It's a willful behavior done with extreme disregard for health and safety. And again, this applies to the COVID-19 response. Okay, that being said, so forwarding to uh, what, going back to the election, what, uh, what uh, the press secretary said was, she, she said that we should have a clear winner. And you know what, Chris, I, I mean, we... It's something that we've seen, you know, from, uh, well, no, if you look at 2000, right? Even 2000, look at what had happened. We had to wait for Evictor to be declared, right? Because Not even, yeah, yeah, it's just, because that yeah. was George W. Bush's uh, election, <clears throat> first time he won. Yeah, Florida was, uh, yeah, Florida clearly was one of those moments. Right. So it's not that we we have a expectation because of technology, um, but when technology is not there that would allow it. No, you do not get a declared winner. And I you know, I, they're going to use this as a way to um, they're going to use this an, as another way to, you know, rig the election and you know what biden said it and people didn't really think biden said it i i think uh, earlier this year earlier this year that this is what they're going to attempt to do and they're doing exactly what they've alleged democrats do you know and you know what i'm sorry but if you're a republican you need to really think about is this what you really stand for forget about what you stand for for think think in your own interest Right. Yeah. If this yeah. is the new normal, if this is the thing, if this is how it's going to be, right? If we're going to allow these events to occur, we will allow the enemy to do the same thing, right? Yeah. <clears throat> or the opposite destructive political view, right? right? That you would consider, like taking it down to a very tribalistic base, right? You don't want your opposition to have an unfair advantage. You don't want your opposition to cheat, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you want to win the war of ideas because you think your ideas are better. Right. Right? But it comes down to fundamentally people upholding and being critical of those around them and of those that they might agree with, right? Right. <clears throat> but you have, but what can I say? This idea that the election has to happen on day like day one night of we should figure out who won out of you know a hundreds of mil- like a hundred million votes or something like that more right yeah. we need to figure out who won that night is a fallacy it's just a reality yeah. of of modern times with with easy with with modern technology and ease of being able to communicate rapidly right and then also modern <clears throat> voting machines and 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 voting 
what's and uh and voting processes yeah we're going all paper for this uh current election right, right? it's going to be mass amounts of of mail-in ballots absentee ballots right drop-off ballots all these sorts of things yeah right <clears throat> Right. And let me throw this out to you. I suspect this might occur, and it kind of terrifies me. I suspect that on election night, one of two scenarios can happen. Either, you know, Biden wins by a goddamn landslide. Yeah. Right? The landslide occurs. The 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 people <clears throat> vote out Trump. Biden wins. And, you know, uh, it's close. And it, it's enough that that sort of gets everyone going, all right, well, I guess he won. Right. And that's it. But, you know, smooth transition to, uh, to power. I don't think they're going to allow for a smooth transition. I'm putting it out there. With, with the, bigger, the bigger the the, the margin of, of victory, the, the, the more yeah, likely a smooth transition will occur. But <clears throat> uh, say if it's but say if it, it's it's going to be tied. Say say it's so close. It's crazy close to who's going to win. Right. It's going to say if it looks like on election night, Biden or even Trump is going to win. Chris, you know, right? um, yeah. Chris, and then uh, a couple of days later, what happens? They yeah. say someone else wins. Yeah. There's going to be riots on the street. Either side. Yeah. Either side right. is going to come out there. Right. Chris, yeah. what, what everybody has to keep in mind mm-hmm. is that most elections really do win by just one or two votes in each of the counties that then the electoral college has to vote with. Right. Yeah. Uh, And and that's, that's what's at stake. So very important for everybody to go out and vote and very important that you need to figure out how you should be voting. Look at your state. I'm concerned because you know what the USPS, which, you know, is, supposed to be you know a bastion for communication right is under attack uh, we've got a postmaster who is removing um mailboxes we've got a postmaster that's closing post offices because they're not productive you know they, they we even talked about um uh what is it uh Sorry, I, I budget or no, 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 no. Um, privatizing, <clears throat> privatizing the the postal service, and when you privatize, think about this, people. That means you're allowing third party individuals' interests to come in and control, and that could be a China, a Russia, um, a you know. Um, I mean, or something. Okay. I mean, I mean, I mean, I know I'm talking extremes and stuff like that, but here's let, the thing let, is that you need to figure it, you know, you need to understand how to best protect your vote, what your state is, what your state is allowing, and then look at what you can do to ensure that your vote is counted. Your voice is heard. I mean, yeah, but, um, I, I want to just throw this out here that when it comes to the postal service, when it comes to these, some of these things, I want, I want people to realize that you want your government that you pay taxes to, to guarantee you a couple of very, very simple things. 
-hmm. rights, security, privacy, protection, right? Relative peace, right? Yeah. <clears throat> As a Canadian, I would also argue healthcare, welfare, um, um, you know, that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. And then on, and in that thing, the postal service also goes. You want your government to provide you with an effective postal service because let's face it, the post is how things work, right? Like I know we're getting more and more digital, but we need physical copies every once in a while that need to get to pos yeah, yeah. positions. We need <clears throat> unbroken chain of evidence where a copy goes in, it's signed, it's resealed and sent back, right? Yeah, yeah. We need these sort of things right now. And guess what? The paper ballot system is also something that we need. Yeah. Right? And the Postal Service is the focus of all of that. The Postal Service also does banking. Yeah. Right? For places yeah. in the sticks that don't have access to that sort of stuff. The Postal yeah. Service is so fundamental. And right. any attempt to harm it right now is clearly just, oh, it is a bald-faced move to affect and damage these elections. On top of that, the FEC doesn't have enough members for a quorum. So even if there is anything that goes around during this election, they cannot come together and do anything about it. Because Trump has not put any appointed members in. Insane. <clears throat> and guess what? This is this is the world that we're in. We're in a world where someone can legally ensure that the watchdog to ensure that the elections are held fairly cannot work. Yeah. This is tin pot dictatorship where <clears throat> does the US need UN, you know, freaking peacekeepers to come in and ensure that there are free and fair elections? Is this the reality that 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 the, that we live in? This is what is terrifying 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 thought considering <laughs> that you know what um, I mean, the unit I'm... itself is not <laughs> it's very terrifying okay can we go to our happy can we go to our happy place <laughs> now that you we've you know talked about doom and gloom and end of days type um i really feel like you need to go to my happy place yeah let's let, let's go to my and happiest of places and that's the far future yeah, and um, and that takes us to one of my all-time favorite um, universes, and that's the Star Trek universe. So we're going to, um, in exploring the Star Trek universe, because there's so much information, so much that we could explore, and um, heads up, guys, we might do multiple episodes on this. It's um, we're, What we're going to do is we're going to look at the – at the different series and um, also the movies and just, you know, what is our favorite? Yeah. <clears throat> I think we'll, no. yeah. Uh, excluding the Kelvin verse, you know, the JJ Abrams new Star Trek rebooted series with Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto and Zoe Saldana. <clears throat> and actually they have a huge cast and uh, they're, they're all particularly good, but uh, excluding those three new films. Yeah. Let us, let us focus more on, yeah. Let us focus more on the uh, original stuff, you know, stuff that Gene Roddenberry had a hand in, and Rick Bergman and 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 Brandon Braga, 
right? Let's yeah. <clears throat> let's focus on on those stuff, and uh, we'll quickly talk about um, sort of like the current Star Trek uh, programming, um, right? We'll, yeah, we'll quickly yeah. talk about the current Star Trek programming uh, as well. But uh, from each Star Trek series, let's we're going to focus on one specific episode that we feel are, is is foundational or fundamental to the nature of the of the the series. <clears throat> and the nature of Star Trek in general, um, yeah. right? And we'll go through one episode for each uh, of the four series. First being Star Trek: The Original Series, then the Next Generation, which I call classic, which I call classic Star Trek. <clears throat> yeah, so classic right? Star Trek, Star Trek: The Next Generation, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, Star Trek: uh, Enterprise, and honestly, uh, we're gonna skip Star Trek: Voyager, not because it's anything bad or anything otherwise but mainly because i just haven't seen it uh so uh okay and i have seen a star trek voyager but um i can't say that it was um my favorite series but there was definitely um episodes and um i do have one from star trek voyager that um i'd like to talk about in touch ways because sure. um it's relevant to even the the new stuff that's uh, that's come out. So let's dive into it, okay, Chris? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a huge um, Star Trek original fan. Loved Kirk, Spock, um, Bones team. I I, lo- I loved them. I you know they there were my there were my Saturdays um, where I. You know, I just needed to to watch it, and um, I that was the that was the time that nobody um, could touch the TV because I needed to get my Star Trek fix. Okay, um, but the my the favorite uh, my favorite episode for for Star Trek the original was um, it, and it's the only time that Star, the Star Trek original did this, which was the Menagerie. Like it was a two part. Um, series and in it it was uh, Spock is getting court-martialed and he's getting court-martialed because he has commandeered uh, the Enterprise and taken the Enterprise to this um, you know this uh, this planet that they're not that's um, that you know they're they're that they're not allowed to to visit at all right and we find um, that um, he did uh, through his court martial. We learn why this was done, and it's and it goes it leans back to the very first pilot episode. So the menagerie, what the menagerie did was it took the pilot episode that the network, um, uh, the the network uh, rejected, and brings it into the current environment. So you have. Um, Kirk, uh, and um, but a lot of what was done with the menagerie was based on it was you know footage from the first episode, the the pilot episode, and basically it's uh, Spock is taking his um, his ex commander, his former yeah. captain uh, yeah. Christopher Pike, back to uh, this planet called Talos Four. And uh, what we learn in this episode is that uh, the Enterprise had had an earlier visit to Talos Four when Christopher Pike was the captain of the Enterprise, and certain events happened in the initial 
um, visit and the, 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 um, the visit to Talos 4 had been, um, had been wiped from the systems, right? So nobody knew that this had happened. And um, a spike, a Spock has taken, is taking Commander Pike, who's now in a wheelchair, cannot move because of a devastating um, accident. He is, he's taking Christopher Pike back to Talos 4. And the thing with Talos 4 is you see all of these people that are, behind these glass, glass doors and they're beautiful, but you, you, so you think that there's something nefarious going on, but it's not what they're what this, what the inhabitants of Talos for do is using uh, telepathy. They've created a world for everybody where they're perfect and they're happy. And, and Spock has taken, um, you know, Commander Pike back there so that he can live out the rest of his life. You know, yeah, because he's bound to, yeah, yeah, yeah he's, he's bound, bound to, to a, he's bound to a wheelchair. He's scarred. He's got no movement, no mo, no mobility. He, the only way he can talk is through a computer. Very much Stephen Hawking, before there was Stephen Hawking. <laughs> Right? Yeah, a series through a series of beeps, I believe. Yeah, through a series of beeps, right? But it was it's the that's how Stephen Hawking came up with the concept. I'm pretty sure. Somebody, you know, Stephen Hawking's friends would be like, "No, you liar!" But yeah. it's a it's a really good um, it's a really good two part episode, right? I, I really enjoyed it, and um, you know, and I'm gonna just jump Chris because we we see Captain P- Christopher Pike in Discovery. At, this is spoilers, everybody. If nobody's seen Discovery, watch it. Really good. They've got two seasons. Third one is coming out. Season two has Christopher Pike, and there's a there's a particular episode in in Discovery where Pike sees the um, what is waiting for him, and he still makes the decision that he needs to in order to protect the the prime directive and you know the 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 universe that and protect the universe that they're in right so i thought that was you know looking at <clears throat> their portrayal of pike and discovery and bringing it back to the original and tying it in i you know i i look at the menagerie in a in a completely different light oh uh, yeah um the discovery even deals further with the the nature of of pike's future injury that will leave him um stuck into the, the chair immobilized and practically incapacitated yeah um and it, it deal and it gives it into a new context so yeah the one thing um and i guess this is sort of us touching on discovery discovery is a prequel to the events of the original series yeah um and as such it it does further uh focus on sort of the, uh, the the relationships and characters uh, of some of the Enterprise crew who who appear in Discovery, right. um, and then in turn because of how well uh, you know Anson Mount as Commander Pike in Discovery was received, in addition yeah. to Spock in Number One and and all the rest, they are um, doing a spinoff show called Strange New Worlds about the Enterprise during. Uh, it's command under Christopher Pike, and how, yeah, and uh, I believe uh, K- K- uh, Kirk will be in it, but as not as captain, uh, but as a as an officer. 
right? Right. And, right. and we want to um, also um, say that, uh, you know, we also want to tell everybody that Discovery does have a young Spock. They've yes. already casted as Spock. Um, yeah. So, um, and just uh, because, you know, I we always say we're only going to spend 10 minutes on political stuff and we end up spending way too much on it, Chris. So I want to keep us moving. Sure. But a close second for um, the Star Trek original is the episode called The City on the Edge of Forever. And what that one is, is where McCoy goes back in time right? Uh, he goes back and um, he changes the timeline and Kirk and Spock have to go back and they land in 1960s or Earth and um, and you know, Kirk has to make a decision if, you know, in terms of whether somebody he's grown really affectionate about has to live or die. If she, she lives, then the timeline changes completely and it's not the world that they that they have and so he has to make the decision really really good uh episode for star trek the original series and if nobody has watched the original series do because i i think there's a lot of um a lot of good stuff in there yeah star trek and yeah. time travel are so tied together that yeah. i feel that um people should you know when when, can, when remembering it uh, the the time travel episodes in Star Trek usually are very very well done. So, um, right. and I'm going to say one other um, uh, Star Trek also uses um, ha- introduced the mirror universe, okay, a multiverse so, concept, so, right? Yeah, and, and so I'm going to yeah, I, I jump, but it, I didn't really because I want to say is that the mirror universe uh, episodes are really good, but I, I didn't jump, Chris, because uh, we're not going to talk about it. Okay. What? Until because we get to it. That was my favorite episode of the original series. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say is that what I was okay. going to talk about is like, all right. Yeah. Um, Mirror, Mirror, uh, an episode of, uh, of, I think, season two of the original series shows off the mirror universe, the idea of a dark universe where all of our characters in an alternate timeline are, are evil, right? Right. The, the the mirror universe uh and uh it, it's essentially just a flip of of how we understand uh you know starfleet star trek and everything and part of the sort of zeitgeist that it created was that it made that goatees right like if if you see your if you see a, a person and another person uh, the same person arrives with a goatee. The one with the goatee is the evil one <laughs> oh, and don't and don't forget the black eyeliner <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so what can I say? So bringing that into sort of the cultural zeitgeist, I, I thought it was uh, yeah. So the mirror episode, I'm not going to go further on it because uh, other shows in the Star Trek universe go deeper into the mirror stuff, and yeah. we'll talk about there later. But the the, the creation of the, the this whole alternate universe in the 60s is yeah. amazing. So I, I'm gonna I, I'm yeah. So. Uh, you know, yeah. Roddenberry, you know, good, good on you. All right, let's go past the original series. Um, I want to actually, I have one more episode to talk about the original series, and then I'll be talking, uh, and that goes into something else. Uh, okay. and this is an episode that I think people need to watch in order to watch the best Star Trek film, which is Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Um, uh, and well, this best Star Trek, uh, original series cast film, yeah. and um, so. The, the episode is Space Seed, um, and this is an episode uh, where 
the crew of the Enterprise finds a derelict ship uh, filled with uh, people in cryogenic uh, people in cryogenic stasis pods, and they thaw one of them out. And he he comes out. He names he calls himself Khan. He's he's this well spoken guy, and they 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 learn more about him, and eventually learn that he is this like tyrannical sort of dictator from earth way in the past and he's this genetically altered super being right and and part of and so the nature of the augmentation of humanity the con eventually comes to the point where you know kirk just uh, i won't uh, spoil it but kirk deals with the problem right um right. and then this is used as the baseline for one of the best episodes, uh, sorry, best series uh, films uh, within the Star Trek franchise, and that is Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. um, right. and bringing back the character, showing why he is this warlord that is to be feared, why he took over the you know like half of the uh, half of Earth, right uh, during his original reign, like why he is this truly devastating foe, uh, and then, um, uh, like I said, I won't be talking about the Kelvin universe. So we're we're not gonna have to talk about whitewashed uh, character, you know. I'm yeah. just gonna throw it out there the character's name is Khan Noonien Singh, right? Yeah. Yep. Why the fuck did they get Benedict Cumberbatch to play him in the movie? Like what? <laughs> the original it was actor Benedict was Benedict right, and they wanted. Uh, yeah, the original actor was the audiences. Still, the original actor was uh, Ricardo Montalban. Um, you know, uh, while not an Indian dude, he at least is you know has a tan, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Well, he's got a naturally born tan. <laughs> yeah, at least he's at least he's got a bit of a tan, not pasty white. Yo, I'm right. supposed to be playing someone who was born in the Indian subcontinent in the 90s, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Uh, right? Uh, whatever. Yes. But nevertheless, Star Trek: Wrath of Khan, great movie. Um, but yeah, the, the space seat. All right. And now let's ju- get out of there and let's jump a few decades later. And then we get ostensibly, in my opinion, the best Star Trek show. Well, it definitely, um, you know, what uh, created a, a new following for oh, Star yeah, Trek, absolutely. right? Um, it, and that's, of course, is the next generation where we get... Uh, what a lot of people consider the best captain, which is Captain Picard, Jean-Luc Picard. Well, so me and my brother talk about this a lot, and yeah. every captain has a has a certain style to them. Yep. Yeah. And you know, Picard. So Kirk is the explorer. Yeah. Right. You know, Pike is the commander. Yeah. Right. But Picard, Picard represents the aspect of Starfleet that we didn't get to see in a captain, and an aspect that I truly respect and and uphold more and that is that of the diplomat yeah yeah right picard is the diplomat picard is is it and you realize, yeah and and well it's not mine this is entirely my brother who is the, right. the well, most hardcore yeah the most hard literally he is so hardcore a star trek fan he got the he got he figured out what star trek picard was going to be about and yeah. i was just like what that's <laughs> like how <laughs> right? yeah yeah. Like he literally, he watches her and goes like, "Oh, okay, I know who she is. I know what this is. Oh wow, it's like, oh yeah, I know who this is." I was like, "What?" And then it happens, and I was like, "Holy crap!" My brother got it like down to a T. <laughs> well, I I think that happens when you're you know a super fan, right? Yeah, you, Which you sort I, of I think go the, like, I, "I know yeah, where you're going." I think the whole family is um, you know super fan though, 
of yeah. Star Trek. Well, yeah. majority. Let me. Yeah, we're all fans on di- we're all fans on different levels, but so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Picard definitely one of the better best captains. Riker, one of the who was a great first officer, but also just a guy. <laughs> the who, number one. <laughs> yeah, the number one. The guy who's I'm going to be very crude and vulgar here. But the guy whose dick gets him in more trouble than he knows. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, anybody who is a minor listening in, we apologize. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's just so bad. It's just it's the, no, no, but whatever. But so yeah, in the next generation, this is you know, and um, ostensibly our favorite character uh, together is in the yeah. next generation. Yeah. Um, you could you could talk about him, man. I, I love this dude. Yeah, so uh, I've always again we're we're trying to focus on um, episodes that we enjoyed, but a character um, that kept popping in and out, not only in Next Generation but Deep Space Flight, uh, Deep Space Nine, as well as Voyager, is the character of Q, right? This omniscient being. All of I've I always enjoyed all of his characters. I mean, Next Generation started out with Q as being oh. part of the episode, right? And Dude, I think that John- was it. It was a two part. I, oh my God. I, I think he's it's a yeah. it's John Delancey the yeah. John Delancey as Q brought in a different sort of thing in Star Trek. Star Trek is hard science fiction, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. but Q represents this part of science fiction that they have no explanation for because he's essentially just like this super powerful omnipotent like ninth dimensional being right he's got right. like he's got power over time space physics you know reality yeah. like he can he can like alter anything by just a snap of a finger yeah he's and, he's just his power is immense yeah he can do anything and what he loves to do is just f with picard <laughs> right yeah. just yeah. mess with the dude all the time where he like picard goes like seriously q get out <laughs> right yeah. right yeah, exactly. So I, I think all of their the the episodes of with him in it are always really good. Uh, one of the standout ones is obviously Q Who, Q Who. That's W H O, um, and that's when Q sends the Enterprise, you know, thousands of um, miles away, and um, we're introduced to. The um the Borg. Oh, that's the first time oh, we get the, the Borg. But that's the greatest not my Star Trek villain, villain. Right? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. They, they, because, and Borg is another one that keep, continues to to come. I'm wondering, like you know, with Discovery, and it, we're, if we're ever going to see the Borg again. In so Discovery. I'm going to throw this out to you. In Discovery season two, involving the whole control plot line or whatever, um, one of the main heads of uh, S31, um. He, when like he's got like he he's being controlled by controls nanites or whatever spoilers for for everything, he says something that made me go like what the hell he he gets the nanites in him and he he says struggle is pointless, right? So it, you uh, okay? So the seed is that the Borg has been created by the Federation. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they have um, because Voyager deals with their history. But I go like it's 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 very interesting that the Nate like struggle is pointless is just a very different way of saying you know resistance is futile. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. Interesting. Um, okay, let's leave. Um, um, we're gonna put, put 
that because I think that's a that's a great discussion point. We definitely that it's something that I'd want to circle back to and discuss in a possibly a different episode because I'm trying to keep us uh, continue yeah. to be on track. All right, all right. Um, so my favorite episode of the Next Generation is The Offspring, and this is where Commander Data creates a daughter. Right. Uh, Commander and Data is one of my favorite freaking characters me of all mediums. And yeah. creation, I actually want to talk about this a lot, but the creation of his daughter is such a pivotal scene thing. I want yeah. you, you talk about the episode because there's something I want to talk about about the end of it. Okay. So um, in this episode, we learned that in his free time, Commander Data has created a child because he wants to know because data always wants to know what it means to be human right to have emotion and he doesn't have it so he tries to emulate it and one of the things you know humans have is children right uh or people who so he creates a daughter for him or he creates a child and the offspring he tells the offspring to pick a gender and she picks a picks a, you know, she's going to be a woman. Uh, so his offspring becomes a woman and he names her Lal. And Lal in, um, I think, Hindu and even in Punjabis, you know, a lot of the Indian languages means beloved, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so, so this is um, Data creating his daughter. And what happens is that the Federation sends... They're scientists who want to take control of Lal, right? And you see, um, you know, that he's used his own schematics to create his daughter, but it's, something goes wrong. And it's it's a, just one episode where you see, you know, um, Data, Data loses his daughter. His daughter dies. Um, and what he does is he does transfer her memories into his in order for him to continue um, to have a piece of her with her. You know, I wish we could do that, right? <laughs> transfer the memories of your loved ones yeah. into you. Um, yeah. So, so you have a piece I mean, of them. yeah, he does that. And like his daughter breaking down at the, yeah. she, she, she breaks down at the notion where she's going to be taken away from her father. Right. Yeah. And, and she breaks down significantly from it and he tries to save her, you know, because he tries to, he tries to replicate himself and her and yeah, the emotions yeah. are just too much, right? She couldn't handle it and he doesn't have them. Right? Right, right. And, and so it's, it's definitely one of those scenes that I was like, wow, this is great. And he, he's able to, to keep her, at least her memory alive inside of himself. But right, something right. that I wish that they did and for later stuff, because it's such, for me, it was, it was a very emotional and pitiful thing, right? When Data gets his emotions later, I just wish he had that moment to think about his daughter, right? Yeah, to think, yeah. you know, I like, and because he gets his emotions, not in the TV series, but inside of the films, right? they don't get the opportunity to do that. But I felt if he ever did, it would have been such a great moment to see commander data like actually go through the emotion of, of like actually go through that moment of losing his daughter yeah. so many years later because it's something that's been in his head but he couldn't process and as soon as he yeah. gets the ability to process it it i wanted to see him break down because i feel that emotions are not just laughter and all that sort of stuff it's also the sadness yeah right? absolutely and, and the sadness is something I, I wish that we saw it 
they 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 portrayed shades of it inside of like with other characters inside of that episode but i right, really right. wish that that we saw data himself get to emote you know and the actor show his full range on something like that um but nevertheless it is one of the best episodes because and generally speaking all data episodes generally are some of the best episodes <laughs> right of, well uh, data's in a lot of episodes but data centric episodes are really good even the ones when you know we get introduced to his brother lars but that's a no not lars lore 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 oh lore sorry <laughs> lore i mean that's a completely different uh, like i said there's so much you know that we could talk about here what about you chris what was your favorite so, episode okay so my favorite episode i have two um one is important for me to to quickly touch on picard so i'll talk about that last uh but my favorite episode of the next generation is unification uh it's a two-parter uh it's a two-part uh uh series of episodes just two episodes in, into it for this arc but what it's about is that um uh, Spock from the original series and a much older 200 years later or 100 years later Spock um, is on Romulus and he's trying to bring about Romulan reunification with Vulcan right and he goes like there are many Romulans who who want to essentially who want to reunify you know it's like they want to you know it's like they it's they want to like not be in this warlike state with everyone else around them, right? The Romulan Star Empire is so protectionist, isolationist, you know, xenophobic, right? But there are many of them who are not. Right, right. And and Spock wants to to sort of nurture this sort of reunification effort. Um, And because he's gone, because he's disappeared, they send in, uh, uh, they send in uh, two people. They send in Data and... uh, uh, sorry, they send Data and Picard uh, to go find him. They make him look like Romans or whatever, and they find him. Um, I love this episode mainly because it shows you the sort of the Romulan Star Empire in greater detail. Um, it sh- it brings back characters like Sarek and Spock, yeah, right? Yeah. And brings them to interact with people like, you know, Picard and people like, you know, Data. There was this great, amazing scene between Data and Spock where Spock you know, Spock recounts, you know, like, and then talks to Data and, and, and goes like, do you know, like, you are exactly what Vulcans want to be. Like, everything that Data is, is what a Vulcan strives to be. Cold, analytical, void of emotions, right? This is what they want. It's almost this, you know, this android robotic nature of 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 Data. It's something that the that the Vulcans want to emulate. Right. And yeah. data goes like, yeah, but I don't want any of that. <laughs> right. Data yeah, yeah. wants so badly to be human. Um, and Spock just pauses like fascinating, you know, just an interesting little thing. And yeah. it's this, you know, and because it deals with Spock's internal struggle, you know, as a person of two worlds, him dealing with the fact that, you know, he had to be one or the other. You know, he couldn't be like he he had his ears were a little too pointy, right? To be yeah. to be human, but he was a little bit too emotional to be to be a Vulcan. And on top of that, in something like Discovery, we find out that as a, a person of two worlds, he had developmental disabilities. You know, mm-hmm. for for a, a Vulcan, 
to which Vulcans did not help him because unfortunately around the original series time all the way back to Star Trek Enterprise time, um, Vulcans are notoriously racist. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, the universe is not perfect, but we can sure as hell try to, you know, make it a little bit better. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so dealing with these struggles. Yeah. That's a, yeah. (laughs) It's a great, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, like, and so that was definitely one of my favorite episodes, the reunification, and it sort of. Well, as you're talking, Chris, you know, it reminds me of we we get reintroduced to a character that we thought was dead, and that ties into a previous episode where that character realizes, you know, there's a misalignment in the universe, and she ends up going back to the regular timeline and then it, you know which one yeah yeah yeah, about, yeah, right? yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know i'm, I'm talking to... like in circles <laughs> no, no no we're gonna keep very very quiet this is a it's a i wish they did more with her and i oh my god i hope she shows up in picard season two yeah me too right um yeah. who, who, that would who? be so awesome if they could do that yeah but uh okay so Uh, And the other episode that I would talk about, which relates directly to Star Trek Picard, is an episode called The Measure of a Man. And it is definite. If you weren't watching Reunification, I would say watch this. Measure of a Man is an episode where a Starfleet uh, science officer named Bruce Maddox uh, comes to the Enterprise and essentially is ordering that um, the property that being... uh, Data, Commander Data, yeah, Commander Data, be uh, requisitioned and and given over to him for him to essentially recreate, uh, like data because they go like no one's ever been able to do create an artificial life form like data before. Nunians soon who created, you know, um, who created data, it's like he's gone. We don't have another way to create another thing like data again. They so badly want to do it. Um, and they go like, well, data is property. He's he's not a he's not a human. He's not a man. He's not like an, an he's not a life form. He's a robot. You know, right. he's an android. He's property. We can so, do whatever we right. want to him. And so they have, explore the concept of sentient being and what that definition yeah. is, what that means. Yeah. And so yeah, the, it's it's an important episode because Picard has to act as data's you know uh, advocate, and he goes like, and yeah, it's like the measure. What is the measure? of a man what is the measure of consciousness what is the measure of 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 what it means to be considered alive to be a person to have rights right yeah. fundamental what is what is what is the the baseline to have rights and in the end they go like it doesn't matter what you're built of or what your thing right we cannot determine consciousness right you can't mm-hmm. determine if i'm conscious Right? How can I determine right. if you know? And and you're trying to argue that he's not. It's like prove to me that I am, right? And it's like if if you think I am, I see no reason why he is. And more importantly, Picard makes this the greatest argument to limit this man's rights now. Yeah. Right, is to put an entire people into bondage, into slavery, into to to take away their basis of existence. The measure of yeah. a man is so fundamental because at that moment, an android is considered to have full rights within the Federation. Yeah. Right? And it sets the stage for Picard where years later, because of an, a huge accident or uh, 
in it, intentional or otherwise. Um, well, it, I don't know if it was necessarily an accident. I, I think um, in Picard, yeah. it was one day all of their um, androids on Mars, androids, right, just attacked. Yeah, they, what? like what happened? Like, why would they one day just snap? Yeah. Right? And so, and then it destroys Utopia Planitia on Mars, which is essentially the building ground for a lot of the uh, Star Starfleet uh, ships, right? But yeah, yeah. It, it, it's so fundamental, and the nature of of the rights that you know that he's afforded, and and that uh, synthetics are afforded, afforded, yeah. all strives from this original thing where it's like, hey, I remember when it's like we gave these people rights. You know, I yeah. was there, <laughs> right? And right. that was, it's. What can I say? Um, people don't like the new shows like Discovery and, and Picard and otherwise they have problems with them. I personally do not. I think that people, some, I think like with all fandoms, people sometimes get too stuck. And it happens yeah. to me too. Like, you know, like if something is, if it happens sometimes where I go, like, oh, this is against what I thought would be it. But, you know, I, I tell people just try to enjoy things for what they are. A new era means new way of thinking, right? And Gene Roddenberry, you know, has passed a long time ago and and i believe it was unification which they did there you know in in, in memory of g Rod, roddenberry yeah. but yeah so um that for the next generation next generation deals with a lot more in my opinion more philosophical diplomatic matters than most other star treks do mm -hmm. because of the nature of who picard is as right. a diplomat he doesn't solve problems through fighting all the time he solves problems through diplomacy. That's the way. That's the way he acts. That's the way he's taught. And um, there's so many great episodes. I could, you know, you know. Do you remember that episode where Picard's on that planet with that dude, and they only speak in like legends, like Darmok and Jalal and at Tanagra? Do you remember that? I guess not. I <laughs> okay. think so. They're, 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 it's like Picard's just trapped on a planet with another captain and the guy only speaks in like memes essentially and so <laughs> right and yeah. Picard can't understand him until Picard understands that their essential the, their language and the way that they talk is is done through through existing legend existing stories and yeah. and you're supposed to they essentially talk through through memes through through existing stuff um it, it's a unique sort of thing uh tons of stuff like that tons of data centric episodes tons of everyone gets their time to shine uh q is definitely one of the best uh things to sorry one of the best characters to pop up and he just loves popping up um so yeah the next generation ostensibly one of the best uh star trek shows and one of the best shows uh yeah um, I, I mean chris yeah. as you were talking i'm thinking oh uh, i really like that one we needed to talk about this episode we need to talk about these Dude, are all great. Uh, okay <laughs> like let me propose this let me propose this all right yeah. let's do an entire episode just on tng <laughs> yeah all right yeah so, yeah let's do that and, and we'll have to pick two episodes per season max oh wow okay i uh, how many seasons was it? was it like seven or eight seasons seven seven seasons seven seasons so if it's so we're gonna be talking about 14 episodes essentially <laughs> uh, yeah well actually uh, well, uh 28 <laughs> oh yeah no 28 yeah so yeah, we'll be talking about one season's full worth of episodes practically um yeah all right so uh let's move on to uh 
a better one, which is uh, well, not better one. Let's move on to Deep a Space different Nine. take. Yeah, a different take yeah. on Star Trek: <laughs> Deep Space Nine. Yeah, that and that is a, a different take on the the Star Trek universe in that uh, Commander Cisco is uh, being assigned to a a station that is just off of the planet of Bajor, and Bajor is just receive you know obtained independence from their from the kardashians right not the kardashians the kardashians <laughs> sorry. that was that was there's sorry not the kardashians the kardashians when we're talking about evil omnipotent leather skin tyrants we're talking yeah. not just about the Kardashian family. We're talking <laughs> about the uh, the Kardashian. Wow. <laughs> uh, wow. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but yes. Uh, so yeah, the the Kardashians have essentially pulled out of their uh, colonization of the planet Bajor. Bajor is a place that's wanted to be. Uh, sorry, Bajor is a place that the Federation is considering to court and and, and joining its 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 union. Um. And at Deep Space Nine is the um, is the sort of deep space intel- installation that was formerly a Cardassian uh, sort of space station that they've left, and now the Federation is using it uh, in their thing. Um, deep Space Nine initially doesn't start off too strong. Yeah, I agree with you, but it, it builds up; it becomes stronger and stronger. Very, every uh, every season of Star Trek, sorry, every series of Star Trek, the first yeah. two seasons are kind of garbage. <laughs> um, yeah. Like there's, there's gems in, in, in everything, but the first two seasons don't really have a place until they, and then later they, they get their groove. Every single right. series of Star Trek. T- Next Generation was like this. Deep Space Nine was like this. Well, they need, you know, they need the two seasons to yeah. build their characters, right? Yeah. Enterprise <laughs> was like this. So right. uh, after two seasons is when I go like, all right, now let's, let's see where, the, where they get, because once they get into the groove, they, they sort of figure it out. But um, yeah, something yeah, something that's occurred. Um, something that occurs in the show is uh, an event called the Dominion War, which sort of takes the entire. It sort of like focuses the rest of the show for the rest of the series. Yeah. Um, and uh, what can I say? It's great. Uh, how about you? Uh, no, let me actually start off. My favorite episode of Deep Space Nine is an episode called "In the Pale Moonlight." Where, okay. um, and this is an episode I'm going to be very quick and it's, I'm not doing any spoilers. It's an episode where uh, Captain Cisco's ethics are put to the test when considering the, the sheer complexity and difficulty of the task at hand in the Dominion War. Captain Cisco needs help from wherever he can get it, he needs allies in the Dominion War even unlikely allies like the Klingons and the Romulans, right? Even unlikely allies can be there, but it will cost a little bit of your ethics. And what it does is it shows that sometimes, you know, even, even perfect, even what seems like utopian organizations like the Federation, they must do whatever it takes to ensure their existence. I, people might feel it's, it's hypocritical, but I feel that this is all most important to remember that anybody who is tolerant should not tolerate the intolerance of others. 
right? Yeah. And so so right. it's a very basic thing. The Federation wants, the Federation is a tolerance thing, but its enemies don't want its way of life existing. Its enemies yeah. don't, its enemies don't think that it's good, right? And that's fine. The Federation doesn't force anyone to be part of its crew. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> and that's the fundamental difference, right? They're not the Borg. They don't assimilate, right? They're not, you know, infinite diversity and infinite combination, right? That that Vulcan old proverb. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, like that's what the Federation is fundamentally about. And... and it's a recurring theme in all of, um, all of yes, the series. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, In the Pale Moonlight is definitely one of the more morally and ethically complex episodes of star trek and i'm i i remember at the time people were like well this isn't star trek like like what is all of this sort of stuff and i'm like hey man star trek is more than just this utopian that uh, this utopian ideal of visiting new worlds and making friends with new alien green people right it's also about dealing with hard choices and dealing with the fact that sometimes there is no right choice and you have to do all that is necessary to ensure your survival the survival of your crew and the survival of you know your government right the survival of, yeah, of yeah. everyone around you right <clears throat> and and the what can i say in the pale moonlight set um how about you what is your favorite deep space nine episode well my favorite is one that i i enjoy in all of them which is a mirror universe episode and that's um it's in the second season it's called crossover this is where kira and dr Bashir. Right. While they're traveling through the wormhole back to, um, I think, Deep Space Nine, they're back to the station there. They experience some difficulties and wind up back at the station. But it's in a it's a world that they don't recognize. Right. Uh, in the in this universe or where they land up, there's a Klingon Cardassian. How do you like that, Chris? I said Cardassian. Yeah. Um, alliance. <laughs> um you know, and uh, that Deep Space Nine, uh, it's the and the Deep Space Nine that they've returned back to isn't the one that they that's in theirs, right? So uh, mm -hmm. and Bajor was rather in this universe, Bajor wasn't um, wasn't controlled by um, the Cardassians. The yeah. It was it was controlled by. The Terrans, and in this universe, there's no um, Federation. The Terrans are the Federation. That's yeah. That's what it's called, right? Yeah, the, and, the Terran Empire. Right, the Terran Empire. There isn't a Federation, and um, Bajor has been occupied by uh, the Terran Empire. The Klingon Cardassians have freed the Bajorans, and the Bajorans have enslaved. Um, the Terrans, right? Yeah. And that's, it's a completely different in universe than what they're, they're used to. And it's a, it's a theme that does, um, cause there's, I think, I believe there's several other episodes that deal with the mirror universe. Um, you know, uh, where after their visit, you see what happens in their world where, you know, the Terrans end up, liberating themselves at the form of resistance movement. And you see those in, you know, Deep Space Nine episodes, Through the Looking Gas, Shattered Mirror, Resurrection, and Their Unburst New Cloak. I just, I really find it, I, I really enjoy it when they 
when um, Star Trek explores the mirror universe because it's oh, so different from yeah. from the Federation, right? The Terrans Absolutely. are not. You know, you talk about tolerance in the Federation. Well, uh, the Terrans do not tolerate. <laughs> They're conquerors. Yeah, the They're Terrans conquerors. are are conquerors. They kill. I mean, they blow up planets. Um, yeah. Like Kronos, the Klingon homeworld is destroyed in the Terran universe. Yeah. You know, like they are, they're no joke. They're militaristic humans. Um, and I believe the main thing about the Terran Empire is that murder is not illegal. <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, uh, attempted murder is illegal. Murder isn't. <laughs> so. Right. So, yeah. It's a, an, attempted, an attempt at murder and failure is, is more illegal than actually getting the job done. So, you know, <laughs> um, that all being said, yeah, the, the Mary, oddly enough, TNG, the next generation, does not have any uh, Mary, Universe, Mary Universe episodes, which is kind of a damn shame when you think of it. Uh, it is really? Uh, yeah, there's no Mary Universe uh, episodes in the next generation at I all. I thought there was one with Riker. Nope. You're thinking about the alternate Riker because of the, the beam up accident. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, interesting. Okay, so I stand corrected. There's um we haven't come across that yet. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah uh, the Mary uh, Universe episodes always enjoyable and you know, and and the thing is this particular one crossover sets the sets the framework and the foundation for the the rebellion that ends up happening with the Terrans that were enslaved um by the Bajorans subsequently. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and so that is Deep Space Nine, the more militaristic and darker Star Trek uh, of the original uh, series, uh, uh, of the original set of series that occurred in the 90s and the 60s. Um, all right, um, you can talk about Voyager because uh, this one is a blank spot for me. Yeah, okay, so um, Voyager, um, Voyager it's an interesting um it starts off with you know voyagers in conflict with um with these rebels and they get stuck in in a vortex which you know both crews and whips them out into like i i think it's the delta quadrant which is there's a way and um in order to yeah. yeah you know and um and what hands ends up happening is the in, with Voyager, the two crews um, cr crews have to merge as one because uh, the rebellion and the, the rebels, their ship is disintegrating. So they need to form a new, new crew with the remaining. And it's it stars, you know, uh, Captain Janeway. She's, she leads and her, her number one become is the, uh, the, I don't know if he was the commander or he was um, the yeah, yeah. one of um, the Maki. Yeah. 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 The Maki. Uh, you know, yeah, so, you know, he generally speaking, second in command. Yeah. Generally speaking, the whole Maki rebellion sort of thing is, ugh, I, I don't particularly enjoy it. Yeah. I, I don't either, which is why I'm not like, yeah. Um, but th that's the framework of Voyager is that. Crews combine to, and they're the survivors are trying to make their way back home. Okay, to mm -hmm. their own, to their own space, and that that's a Voyager's premise. Now, 
in terms of what episodes I liked of Voyager. So I liked um, Scorpion. Okay. I, and the reason why is we get introduced to, I think becomes a, a very important character and you see her a lot, which is seven of nine. So seven of nine, it was a human child who the Borg got assimilated into the Borg and, um, you know, she gets um, separated from the Borg and is now becomes the Voyager crew. And so you see, so 709 is sort of like the data of Voyager, right? Yeah. In the sense that this is a person, you know, who um, learns, finds her own humanity. The difference is that she has the emotions. They're being surprised that she's, you know, she's got to yeah. find how to balance them out. Unlike data who is striving to understand what it is to be human. Yeah. Her connection to the collective suppresses who she is like her individuality, yeah. right? but she, she sort of gains it back because that's the inherent problem is that the collective suppresses individuality. They're all about, you know, the collective, um, right. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, no seven of nine is an important character. She, also is a character who's central to the plot of Picard. So her introduction here, her storyline, it's, it's important to sort of get a, a thing on. A little bit of cool little fun fact, she also beat up uh, The Rock in an episode of Voyager. Okay, just saying that, just throwing it out there. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, The Rock in one of his early, uh, you know, uh, performances as an actor i think right after he did the scorpion king he 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 was in you know uh voyagers just to get his ass beat by seven of nine <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah nevertheless but yeah um so yeah in terms of its connections to uh star trek uh picard um voyager deals heavily with the nature of the borg and who the borg are and the borg are important characters to picard um no spoilers why so um uh, yeah, and you know it's so she's a really important character if for that exact reason is that we get to understand to see more about who what the Borg is, right? Because at this, uh, as we said earlier, they're one of the greatest villains um, that um, Picard and um, Star Trek has seen, right? So. To have, she's the link between um, the Borg and humanity and her struggles as well. Because we, and then we're going to go back to the next generation. I think the next generation is just so. Remember that um, the episode with Hugh, um, where they they find Hugh, the um, the Borg. They had separated Hugh from the Borg, and he comes on board with the next generation, and he and they send him back into into the into the Borg, but Hugh ends up because he's learned to be individual uh, to what it means to be an individual. He ends up corrupting the collective in yeah. a way, and that oh, again yeah, you. You know, brings back to <laughs> I, you went really silent, so I wasn't sure. But uh, and again, we're going to di uh, dive a little bit deeper into um, the next generation because there's so much material in the next generation. Oh yeah. That's pivotal for Picard. And you know what? It's probably going to be pivotal for Discovery Season 3 because Discovery Season 3 gets their, they get 
throwing no out spoilers. into the future, right? We don't know how far. No, I'm not. We don't know okay. how <laughs> it's. Okay, spoilers, 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 guys. We don't know where they end up, okay? <laughs> so. Yeah, so yeah, Discovery. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. We don't know what Discovery will, fo- will focus on. I know Discovery spends a lot of time sort of evangelizing uh, without, you know, focusing, without like making it very clear. Yeah. Uh, the the next show that we're going to be talking about, which is the final Star Trek show before uh, it all sort of ended before the the JJ Abrams reboot series, um, and that is Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, originally just called Enterprise for its first two, first two seasons, changed to Star Trek Enterprise. Um, Enterprise was a strange show in that it it is the, it killed Star Trek. It's the reason why it died. But it's definitely like my second favorite Star Trek show. Like, I, there's parts I, I don't understand. So, there's a problem. Is you know what? This is because of networks. They put it on a um. They put it on a date and a time that a lot of people couldn't, I think, tune into. Right. Not only that, it's it's. Oh, what can I say? Like, I understand the first two seasons weren't that great. But the second and third season were just so phenomenal. Yeah, right. I agree. And, yeah, and they and they and they did something that like Star Trek rarely did at the time, where which had multiple ep- like like two part ep- like two parters for an episode, like for for an arc, or like three episodes to a single arc. Like Enterprise started going, all right, we're going to go into the long form storytelling, right? We're not going to do this freak of the week thing. We're going to actually go deep into the story. And the advantage of Enterprise is that it's a hundred years before the original series. It's yeah. about essentially the first Enterprise crew of the NX01 Enterprise, but the Federation doesn't exist, right? Right, and they're struggling with they struggle with everything, right? They stuck, yeah. struggle with warp drive. They don't like um, the the transporter. Like everybody uses a shuttle shuttlecraft. They don't the tra- they you know don't they're um what's the where they're very uh suspicious of the the transporters and you see how the crew evolves with the technology that they have yeah right and, and they have the engine room which is huge and that makes sense yeah right? and when you when you really think about it it's like all the things that you take for granted in star trek right you know yeah. red alert or or the prime directive, or this or that things that they that they do. They go, oh, we have rules for this. We have this. We have that. None of that applies to the enter- to Star Trek Enterprise. Jonathan, yeah. Captain Jonathan Archer, is flying by the seat of his pants. He's the first yeah. one of his kind to do this, to actually explore, right? To actually go around and be, you know, to to be a starship captain, the first human of his kind. He's on the fastest capable warp capable ship right in in the human uh fleet right and you know um he's his united earth government you know has uh, essentially post the events of star trek first contact (laughs) his united earth the united earth government has has fixed itself poverty's gone war is gone they've finally been able to to work they've been finally like we've reached that utopia but one more thing's remaining the final frontier right (laughs) so it's time for Archer and his crew to go out and the small things like, yo, Vulcans in this early period are kind of like, are just dicks, right? They're, yeah. they're not that nice. Right? <laughs> right, right. You know, and their reasoning is very, and um, uh, sorry, ambassador Saval, who I, I believe 
is in this who is like an ancestor of, of Sarek. Right? Um, I could be wrong though. Ambassador Saval, right? Remarks on how the reason why the the, the Vulcans are so like uh, they don't really like humanity that much at this point is because humanity did what Vul- what humanity did in like a, in like 50 years, what it took Vulcans a thousand. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and right. they go and, and it took Vulcans a thousand years and suppression of their emotions to do it. Humanity didn't need to do any of that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, they just, they yeah. just did it. And for them, they're like, and the reason why it scares them is because humanity is so much like they are. And they yeah. and, and and they're they're so alike, yet the way they did an event was so different, and they became different for it. What can I say? Not not only that, but the original who you know who the original members of the Federation are right: humans, the Vulcans, the Andorians, and the Tellarites. Yeah, I had no idea what the fucking Andorian or a Tellarite was, <laughs> right? In Star Trek: The Original Series, or the Next Generation, or Deep Space Nine, right? right. Or right. Voyager, like they don't. Dude, there's like very few Vulcans in Next Generation. <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, these are founding members. Like, where are these guys? In uh, there's a ton of humans. There's like no, uh, like, like where's the Vulcans? Where's the Andorians? Where's the Tellarites? Right. Well, well and, just with the Vulcans with um, uh, with the Klingons, right? Well, the, well, but the Klingons are an enemy, and that's the thing. But and right, so the Klingons are also. Yeah, yeah, and Commander Worf and all that sort of stuff, but uh, but to actually see an Andorian, right? To actually go like, oh, why are Andorians like this? Like, and see like all these races, they are yeah. so farthest apart from 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 cooperation or helpfulness. Andorians and Vulcans hate each other. Yeah. yeah. Right. How did yeah. they become a federal federated alliance? How did they do it? All right, time to learn. <laughs> All right, yeah, time to go yeah, through the yeah. story of Captain Archer and how he brought together disparate warring factions. How he was able to get people to work e- with each other and 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 call to people's better angels, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To build a to build something greater than all of them, yeah. Captain Archer. And and while that would be interesting enough to see the origins of the Federation, uh. Apparently they had to get even cooler, which is now that there's this temporal cold war and like time travel and like enemies from the future wanting to stop the Federation from forming by killing off essentially Admiral Archer. Uh, sorry, yeah, Commander uh, Archer before he becomes Admiral Archer before he becomes something else, right? Yeah. Um, all of it is, all of that sort of stuff is in there. In my opinion, I love enterprise there are parts of me that want to say it's better than the next generation there's parts of me that wants to slap me for saying that and go like how dare you (laughs) captain picard would 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 not appreciate you know Um, right 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 nevertheless uh it's one of my favorite series so let's uh let's let's talk about it very quickly uh what is your favorite episode okay so um my favorite episode is um it's called demons okay and this is where trip and Paul find out that they had a they weren't aware of right okay so uh and, for people who don't know so trip uh trip is trip tucker you know what i actually let's let's quickly um it probably would be good if um if we we find out what if we just talk about the the main characters right or the characters yeah, for um, enterprise yeah, so, yeah. 
so you have Jonathan Archer, who's the the commander of the captain. You have T'Pol, who is a Vulcan, and she's been assigned to Enterprise to do this in quotes and to act as a check on their um, their overzealousness, right? Yeah, and she takes the position of science officer. Yeah, she takes the position of science officer, very similar to Spock. Uh, you have um, you've got. Uh, Trip Tucker, who is the engineer, right? You've got Hoshi Sato, yep. who is your their communications officer. She takes, um, she represents uh, Lieutenant Uhura. Yeah. Right. You have a um, securities officer, and you have. You know, a helmsman, very similar to Chekhov. I don't think the original Star Trek had a security officer, did they? I don't remember. I don't think so. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like these are sort of the major characters. And um, yeah, Trip and T'Pol, T'Pol being the Vulcan and Trip, the, the head of, uh, of um, engineering. Um, uh, you continue. What, what, what's the big revelation for them? Um, okay, so what. In this episode, we find out that um, there was uh, that uh, you know that uh, in analyzing um, some DNA, uh, we'll find out is that there's a um, in his testing flux. That's the doctor, and he's a he's an alien, right? That's on for the ride. He finds a, he's they find a child. It's a hybrid child, but it, it has the DNA of Tucker and Paul. Right, and they're not sure how this has happened. Right, to uh, Paul, you know, was like, I've never been pregnant, and you know, they don't know how this child is could be theirs, and we find out that it's because there there's a Terra Prime movement, which is like a a, a they're, human they're, fundamentalist, a human yeah. pro human only uh, group, right, and they've created this child to show that that this not it's not feasible right so that's and that's that's where this episode leads uh, for me like uh, outside of you know the the greater things i've always liked the characters of trip and tapal they yeah. grew as characters really well from absolutely hating and each other and disliking each other to you know carving out a a, a a, a really you know good relationship and just the two actors because they've you know sacrificed for the 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 greater good and uh, overcome their own personal the expense of their personal growth uh, i think right i you see them um how to to the child and we know that that's not possible right we know from spock that humans and vulcans can have children so it's oh, yeah. not that it's not possible that no, they can. Human, humans and Klingons can have kids, man. Like the, <laughs> it's um, it, it's it's right. It's yeah. The the idea is is that we're we're very more similar than we realize. Um, and to Paul as a character, Trip Tucker, Trip Tucker has always been like a great little character and a and a great sort of funny type guy, and definitely one of the most uh, one of the more interesting characters. And to Paul. Yeah just played it very straight, but she has so much de character development, right? Throughout the series. And I feel like 
because this is a fourth uh, uh, fourth season episode, it really yeah. is almost like a crescendo here yeah. dealing with all yeah. of that. And I, I, I really love that. Yeah, I, I agree. So this is one of my um, most favorite episodes. I, I really enjoy, I, I enjoy all of the episodes where they were very centric to Trip and to Paul. Yeah. Cause you, you know, because you have for, for me, like you have two characters that started off disliking and distrusting each other because of their own belief structure, their own biases. And in working with each other, they learn there is commonality, right? And, and they, they, they start accepting what they might consider to be a weakness or they, you know, they accept that, you know, those are strengths. So I, I, I really liked that. Like I said, I really enjoyed, I enjoy a lot of those centric um, characters, because if you think about it, this is really, um, it's almost like a glimpse into um, Spock's parents relationship. Yeah. yeah, very well. way, right? it's, it's, yeah. Because it's, you have Vulcan and a human, right? And so you, there, the struggles that uh, Trip and, um, and T'Pol had, you can almost see, Kent, this has got to be, you know, very similar to the, the struggles that um, Spock's parents had and him being a, you know, what they call half breed, right. But ha- being yeah. half Vulcan, half human, what he would have had to deal with because they very much the first ones of his, his bloodline or, you know, his, uh, you know, Vulcans would consider it to be a dilution. Right. You're very much. I mean, yeah, it's at yeah. his time, and even that this time, right? Vulcans and humans are not in the best place, and, right? And but thankfully, it's this sort of thing that it's supposed to divide people. This sort of yeah. thing, but it didn't. It actually brought people together. It showed that you know what? Maybe like this episode really helped bring it all together. And go, like maybe there's hope, right? And for and Flo- and what can I say, Doctor Flocks. Uh, as a character, we didn't talk about him as when we introduced him, but uh, but Doctor Flox is one of the best characters in Star Trek, in my opinion. Um, like the Doctor characters in Star Trek are always great, but Doctor Flox is just so likable, right? Yeah, he's I yes. I mean, he's an alien, but he like his people are are just so like just so chill about everything, right? Yeah. That right. they're like, hey man, and he and he brings insight to everyone else. He goes like, hey, listen. The entire point of me being on here is for me to learn. He goes like, you should do the same. You know, just like, yeah, you right. know, try not to bring any misconceptions or preconceptions to this game. All right. Let's all learn together. Right. It's like, I'm yeah. doing something new. Let's like, let's do something new. I, I like Flox as a character is one of the best characters. And his role in this uh, was also very, very good. And, and he brings emotion into all, all the stuff. But yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Th- that episode was good. I mean, my favorite episode would be. Uh, an episode of Star Trek Enterprise where uh, in season four, a random uh, ship uh, starts attacking um, the Andorians, the Tellarites, the the Vulcans, and it gets them all to this place where they're all at each other's throats uh, to the point where the Vulcan High Command is about to destroy and and attack Andoria with a fleet, right? Right. Um, And everyone's just like, everyone's going crazy. Everyone's just like, like it's all falling apart and Archer's crew essentially realizes that the ship is, is, is cloaked and pretending to be, you know, each like the ships from other species when in fact it's a Romulan ship, it's trying to build up 
it's trying to cause all this trouble. It's trying to damage uh, relations between all these people. Um, and my favorite, the reason why I like this episode is because the, or the, the series of episodes is because it really ends with them taking out, uh, like when, the, when it, it really ends with them all coming together to take out this Romulan threat. And, and you realize that the Romulans in their attempt to ensure that these guys don't join each other, they all come together because of the, the this new Romulan threat that wants them all. Right. And this is the sort of like the, the, the first moments, the shades of the Federation, right? This united, you know, army to take out, you know, this, this, this threat to them all is the first shade of a Federation, right? Uh, um, yeah. Enemies make the best, you know, friend, you know, essentially the enemy of my enemy becomes my friend. Right. And then stays my friend <laughs> because the enemy doesn't go anywhere. The Romulans may still be a threat. Um, right. Um, I f- it's the beginning. It's the start. It's the little tick towards the greatness to come. And I felt this is a great episode because it shows all these different species. It shows the founders of the Federation come together and be and, and, and do the hard job, right, of, of, of working together. And in the end, they all come under one command and it's great. Um, uh, important character who shows up in this, Commander Shran. Oh my God. I love the character Commander Shran and the actor who plays him, Jeffrey Combs, is a Star Trek veteran. He mm-hmm. apparently just loves makeup. So he's played like 12 different characters in the show. Always, always maked up from beginning to end. Do you, uh, Chris, do you remember which season that was in? Uh, that was season four. Uh, yeah, the episode I'm talking about is season four. Uh, one of them is called United. Uh, the, the last episode of the thing is called the Einar, which are a special breed of, of, um, of Andorians who are super mm-hmm. telepathic. Right. Uh, and they, yeah. Uh, but what can I say? Um, uh, this, oh, I really enjoyed that. Um, uh, one final thing. Uh, there's a lot about the, the series. There's, a, there's one episode in particular. Uh, there's two episodes actually uh, from an earlier season where, uh, T'Pol meets a group of Vulcans who are not logic, not logical. They're, they 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 feed into their, to their emotions, and yeah. there she's forcefully mind melded with somebody else, yeah, right? Yeah. And at the time, mind melds, which everyone should know, like a, a Vulcan mind meld, you know, uh, my my mind to your mind, that sort of thing. It's it's just meme to 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 hell. But um, yeah, uh, Vulcan mind melts, which seem normal in, in every Star Trek, are actually very taboo in the Enterprise era. Um, and the reasoning is actually quite simple. The reasoning is because um, it, the, the official reasoning is they think it's a degenerate, you know, sort of belief system, a degenerate practice, right? Yeah. The real reason is because it's very easy to do a mind well with somebody like, wait a minute, that motherfucker over there, he, that's, that's a Romulan. <laughs> <laughs> right it's very easy to go like wait a minute this vulcan dude with pointed years that's a romulan <laughs> it's like wait what are you doing yeah right it's like oh god we got to we got a spy all right everyone uh mind meld will find out who's who <laughs> right it's it's it really suffers when they do that and yeah. um uh and but and that's why it, it's considered uh taboo but well, isn't it also um i they they felt that that um, um you know 
there's a don't they have a neurological ailment that's but allegedly uh transfers between yes and the so they yeah and they continue with that in season four uh mm-hmm. before everything that i talked about where yeah where they a group of um vulcans who, called serenites they mind meld and everything right and um what they do is when they do all this mind melding they do all this sort of stuff um, they reveal, uh, you know, um, to Paul reveals that she has a very, very severe degenerative disease caused by the mind melt. Yeah. Right. And she's going to die from it. And she, she's looking for some sort of um, cure, right. To see if there's anything that they can do. And the Vulcan high command just really comes to the conclusion. Hey, listen, people who have this disease are undesirables and we hope that they die, you know? That's essentially their their thing. It's an allegory for AIDS, right? Right, It's like there's this group of people that we think are degenerates, that we don't want anything, and and they have this evil practice that they do, and they spread this disease through this evil practice. It's okay if they all die because the people who have the disease are are degenerates. That's their belief system, right? right? It's a metaphor for AIDS. It's so well done. I loved every bit of it. Um, you know, it, that's what Star Trek to me is about. It's dealing yeah. with with real crises, real things, taking it, changing it to the Star Trek perspective, and going like, "That's freaking dumb," you know. Right. Yeah, you yeah. know, and Tabal re- reveals that this was forcefully done to her. She was essentially mind assaulted, right? Yeah. yeah. She was assaulted, you know, and she was. It was done against her will, and they go like, "Listen, if you say that, right, they'll they'll." they'll Right. And she goes like, why should that matter? Right. (laughs) Right. Because there apparently is a cure for for it that the Vulcan high command is aware of. It's just they're unwilling to help and cure because for them, if you have participated in this activity, that means that you're, um, you know, degenerate. Yeah. They don't like it. They don't like you. And so if we don't like you, we're not going to help you, even though we can. Yeah. And what can I say? It was one of those great moments. It was it was such a great foundational like yeah. aspect to Star Trek. And I was like, that was that, that's great. It's to me, it's it's as great as a measure of a man where it was like, what is yeah. the rights? What is the rights of a synthetic being? I'm like, cool. But what is also the rights of a being just because you disagree with their lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Does that mean that they do not have the right to life in your eyes? Right. Right. Or to treatment. Or to treatment. Right. Or to treatment. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so what can I say? I, I loved it. I, lo- I loved every aspect of it. She eventually does get cured uh, by a, another mind melder who goes like, yeah, it's just when someone does a very, very bi- bad mind melt, they cause yeah. neurological damage. You need someone who is experienced to go in there and help fix. <laughs> right? right. Right. It's like, Okay. It's like, there you go. That's all it took. And then mind melds right. are so, they're so normal in the future. Everyone goes like, yeah, it's just how we do things. That's how it's good. Right. I mean, do you remember the 90s? Like, I grew up in Canada. Generally speaking, we've been okay with gay people for a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Right? But every once in a while, you'll you'll see some horribly bigoted stuff out there. And you're like, oh, wow, it still exists. <laughs> yeah. Right. I want to, you know, just a circle back that when, uh, so when T'Pol's get gets cured and this is part of um star trek lore she's cured by tapau and do you know who tapau is who is tapau she's spock's grandmother 
oh shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it just you know everything just circles back and that's like the great thing about universes it's so interconnected and there's seeds everywhere you just need to know those seeds oh man do you remember that episode of enterprise when uh, to Paul is talking about her grandmother and she goes like, you know, first contact actually was this way. And she tells this weird story about how in like the thirties, uh, yeah. like her grandmother was on earth, right. They crash landed they eventually left. Right. And everyone yeah. was like, that's, and she goes like, Oh, that's an interesting story. And then everyone leaves. And then she goes back to her room and there she's got the proof of it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Another great story. What- yeah. There's such richness in this universe. Yeah. I, I'm really looking forward to enjoying, looking forward to us doing more episodes on it. I think, well, we'll, I, I, you know, we've spent a lot of a long time, and really appreciate you continuing to listen, to, you know, tuning into us about this. But um, yeah, such a rich universe. If um, if nobody has, you know, I definitely, you know, start um, Star Trek. Who hasn't seen Star Trek? I feel like yeah, uh, it's yeah. I know it's just it, like, I, I, like I I can't talk right. Like I'm like uh It's in the zeitgeist. Check it out. Even if like so, I know people who don't like like the diplomatic side of Star Star Trek and the more high concept philosophical side. Guess what? The new stuff is very much like you know modern modern Star Trek. You know a little bit more action, a little bit more this. Check it all out. You know, we have the modern stuff exists. Uh, all right. Before we sign off, I have to recommend one movie in the Star Trek thing for everyone. Well, two movies. Okay, for the next okay. generation movies, everyone watch First Contact. It's one of the best Star Trek movies ever. <laughs> um, yeah. it's, a, it's a great little standalone thing, and it definitely focuces on Picard's internal struggle, which we never really got to see. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, we, we kind of did, but not to this level. His rage. And then lastly, uh, Galaxy Quest, which is not really a Star Trek movie, but damn if it isn't a good one. <laughs> um, it, sort of, it sort of gets everything right. It, it was supposed to be a Star Trek movie with the original cast, but they didn't uh, uh, sign on to it, so they instead did something differently. Nevertheless, right. Galaxy Quest is hilarious. It's, it falls into a genre of... Yeah, it falls into a into a type of film which has no right to be as good as good as it is mm-hmm. and it's just that good so uh i suggest everyone sort of take the time look at some star trek stuff you know feel free to 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 to, to go through and figure out you know which ones are your favorite which ones you're not if you're the, the the guys who like the the huge moral questions and quandaries of war deep space nine if you like the diplomacy of meeting strange new peoples right uh, go straight to the next generation. You want to to get go heavy and deep into the Star Trek lore. Start with you know the original series, right? If you wanna, if you really wanna get more information on the Borg, you know Voyager is your your gem. You want to see the origin of all of these of of of, of Star Trek in general. Start with man, you you got to go to, you know Enterprise right <laughs> so everything has got its place and trust me you'll be you'll you'll find something you'll enjoy you know this stuff this thing's been on since the 60s all right yeah, <laughs> you know what? gene roddenberry was ahead of his time gene um, roddenberry he... is an old school hippie and god bless <laughs> <him> for it <laughs> and on that note um everybody have a great day um 
Thank you for tuning in to us. We will be back next week uh, with more some uh, more political stuff and uh, more entertainment. We're going to go to our reality place and then our happy places. <laughs> oh, always, always. All right. See you guys. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.